What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode. And this week, I'm going to ask you a question that will really set up this episode. Do any of you harbor ambitions to start a business and grow it rapidly, be very successful in the growth of your business, and at the same time, put in place systems that are going to allow you to free up your time? Now, what do you do with your time when you have all of this extra freedom? Well, what if I suggested that you move from your home in the UK, or let's say it was Ireland, and you decided to go all the way to Sydney, Australia, and put down roots in Sydney, Australia, but all the while fully maintaining your successful business back in the UK, or for those of you listening here in Ireland, that would be the the plan. Run your business from Australia, enjoy the weather, the lifestyle, all of that, but have the income that you are creating. Well, my guest today has done exactly that, and in fact, more. He's recently started a new coaching business, and that coaching business is successfully attracting clients in from the US and the UK and various places like that, all the while him living in the U- uh, in, in Australia, in Sydney, Australia. Now, he actually hosted an event in back in the end of June, and he asked me to come and speak at that event. So I was over there and I got to listen in on some of his, you know, teachings and his coaching and stuff like that. And I have to say, very, very interesting stuff. I really took, I took a lot of notes as I was listening in. So I think you're going to get a lot of value from our, uh, from our guest today. He, he likes to help his coaching business. What he tries to do is help contractors to grow their business. So I think you're going to get a ton of value from this. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, my conversation with Mr. Greg Wilkes. Greg Wilkes, welcome to the podcast. Great to be on, Gavin. Greg, thanks so much for being here today. Um, those of you who are listening into my podcast will be familiar with your name because I did mention that you were you had invited me over to speak at your event in London. And so it's great to have you here. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I do think people are going to be interested to know how a UK contractor ended up in Sydney, Australia, uh, the other side of the world with a successful international coaching business. So we're going to go through that whole process and, and the ups and downs and things like that. But why don't we begin with, well, first of all, can you give us your elevator pitch as to who you are and what you do? Sure. Yeah. Nice and simple elevator pitch. So I'm a construction business coach. We coach business owners generally how to grow from between one and five million pounds. And our ultimate aim is to give business owners more time, freedom, and money, those three things. Nice and simple. I like it. Yeah. That's the pitch. And (laughs) tell us, like, if we go back in time to, you know, your younger years when you're kind of like, say, coming out of school or university and stuff like that, like, how did you end up in the property stroke construction sector? Yeah. So when I was at school, interestingly, I started the entrepreneur journey, if you like, at about 14, 15, started a window cleaning company. 
and I got a taste of earning money very early on and loved it. Um, not just the money side, though. I think I loved the fact that you could create something out of nothing and you were in control of of what you were doing. So for me, it's fantastic to be able, you know, I was earning sort of 50 to 70 pounds an evening whilst my mates were doing their homework or whatever else, which I should have been doing. <laughs> and um, yeah, I just I just love that buzz, that buzz of winning work. I still love the buzz of winning work now. I, I, something about sales and, and winning sales. So that's how it started. And I think from yeah, 14, 15 years old, I knew that forevermore I'd be working for myself. That was that was the dream for me. So that started. Um, I was convinced I was going to be a millionaire window cleaner at, at 15. And then about 16, 17, I realized window cleaning just wasn't for me. It was a little bit, a little bit boring and and uh, not saying there's anything wrong with window cleaning, but for me, I, I didn't enjoy it at all. So my dad said, I'll come and get a trade. And he was a bricklayer and he said, I'll get a carpentry apprenticeship. And I sort of fell into it from there, which I think most contractors do. You sort of end up going into it because your dad was a bricklayer or carpenter and you sort of just following the same lines. And I didn't get amazing grades at school. So there wasn't that many options for me, really. So I thought, right, let's let's get a trade and do that. Started the trade and, yeah, worked with my dad till I was about 18, 19. So that was initially how I got into building uh, as, as a start. And then from there... I think I was about 1920. I really wanted to start my own business. Um, and it started actually, We, uh, uh, my, one of my dad's friend was doing loft conversions in Ealing. And he was working for a company called Top Flight. And at the time in Ealing or in London, they were the biggest loft conversion company in London. They had about 40 teams on. So they're doing about 40 lofts at, at any one point. So they were huge. And what fascinated me about this is that the owner of Top Flight had no construction experience whatsoever. He was just a salesman. <laughs> but he and he looked at he, he, everyone just thought and he was. He just thought he was absolutely minted. And I just thought, wow, that's what I want to do. I want to do loft conversions. So from yeah, about 20 years old, I teamed up with a roofer and we started doing loft conversions. And that's that's how it started. That's how we started our first little business. And how did it go? I mean, Loft conversions, like it's it's an obvious way to create value in a property and things like that. So we, you were doing this as a contractor, so working for a client who owned the property, presumably, yeah. Yeah, that's it. So we were doing, so first of all, we were working as a subcontractor and then all of a sudden someone saw us doing one in the street and they wanted to use us. Um, at the time um, in London, I think, I mean, we're probably talking, what year are we now? Probably around the 2000s. Uh, there was an absolute boom in yeah. that sort of work. So we won one loft conversion, customer loved it, and then we're off onto the next one. So it went really well. To be honest, at 20, 21 years old, I was earning an absolute fortune. <laughs> Didn't really know what I was doing, but I was earning really good money as a as a carpenter. Yeah, it was great. And tell me this, I mean, because I talk about that early success can often be very intoxicating, but it can also be where you establish a lot of negative bad habits and things like that. Did you do any of that kind of stuff? Well, yeah, I, I guess when you get success straight away, you take it for granted a little bit and you think it's always going to be there. So, and it, it was always there for us. I must say we went for a few sort of mini recessions uh, after 2000, but we were never affected. It really didn't affect us at all. Um, so you sort of feel like you're a little bit invincible as a as a, a businessman, as a company. Um, so that was a little bit dangerous because sometimes you're building foundations on just 
yeah we don't we didn't we have foundations i guess we just we were just going along with it and and cracking on and earning good money and so that was a danger yeah you you sort of take it for granted so when things did get bad for us i mean we we grew pretty big actually um and if i if i just rewind a little a yeah, little step on that yeah um, the the biggest challenge i had i guess at that point was with my business partner so we i think i was about 24 25 years old and, all, and things were going really well but i had a family i wanted to earn some more money and he was quite settled with just keeping the business as it was and probably the biggest challenge in business to that point was that we were starting to drift apart and having a bit of a rift and um that was dangerous because now the business was stagnating because none of us would push it forward because we were resisting against each other so that that was probably the biggest challenge at that point and like what what was the solution is it to buy him out or he buys you out or how did you resolve that yeah i had to buy him out it was really messy because he was my best mate as well so um you know we used to go on holidays together and our wives got on he's still a very, really good mate of mine now but um at the time he was going through a divorce um so he was going through some personal problems it was difficult. It was, it was horrible. And then, you know, having that conversation after being together for I think seven or eight years, whatever it was, and then saying, look, sorry, this isn't working for me anymore. I need to go in a different direction. I think it caught him by surprise. Um, and the, the options were for him was that you are, you either buy me out, I buy you out, or we just let it go to pot and start new businesses altogether. So he chose the option of me buying him out. Um, and it was the best thing I ever done in business, you know, as a, as a friendship thing, it was hard. But I think our friendship grew from there because I think if we hadn't have done that, there would have been some bitterness anyway because we were mm. we were going in completely different directions. So it was the right move for our friendship and for the business. And as soon as that happened, the business just went on another trajectory. We sort of really, really rocketed forward once we'd split up. That's interesting. Uh, one of the things that I actually, one of the, the bit of advice that I give my my coaching clients and stuff is whenever you're working with a mate, especially somebody like a best mate, it's always good to put an agreement in place when you're mates, because if something like, and I, and I use the example usually of if somebody's going through a divorce or somebody has died or something like that, all of a sudden, you know, the pressure is massive and you can find that, I mean, I, what happened in a, in a partnership I was in, somebody actually died and, uh, and the family basically inherited the shares in the business. And the biggest problem with that is that um, the, you're now dealing with unknown quantities, you know, people that maybe have suspicions, maybe, uh, and then there would be solicitors getting involved and stuff like that. And it would have been so easy to sort of say, look, how will we resolve this if such and such happens at some point in the future? And you can agree that as mates, whereas if it actually happens or if you go through that conflict, it's very hard to actually turn back the clock and say, well, this sounds reasonable now, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was hundred percent. That's really good advice. And I, I think the good thing with us, we did end it amicably, but it was difficult because I felt just horrible because, because he was going through a divorce and everything else. I think people were probably looking from the outside and think, oh, you took advantage of him a little bit. He was going through a tough time. And then now you're sort of kicking him in the guts and saying, right, I'm out of the business as well. So I did feel a bit of a scumbag, really. <laughs> and then, um, but on but... top of that, the fact the fact that your business went to success became more successful that also has got to hurt because yeah. the guy might be kind of thinking to himself, "Shit, now I could have been in that success if I had stayed." You know, exactly that. Yeah. So all of that happened, and he had to start again, and 
you know, I was I was carrying on with a business that had been there for seven, eight years and was working from that foundation, whereas he had to start all over again with some money in his pocket. But clearly that's that's harder to do. So, yeah, it was it was difficult. It was tough because then any success you then have after that, you feel bad for it when you should be celebrating it. But you're, you're kind of holding it back a little bit because you think, well, you know, I don't want to rub it in anyone's face. So, it's, yeah, yeah it, was, it was an unusual time. So tell us, I mean, did you have a difficulty then at some point? Like, did you grow too big or what happened that created, the, you know, like we we create the, we have success, we start to take it for granted, things go on another trajectory, success, and everything's going great. What happened? Yeah. So as soon as we'd split up, um, one of the big things that happened is I, I headhunted someone that I've wanted for ages, a sales guy. Um, he was awesome. Uh, used to work for Kingspan. So he was used to dealing with larger contracts. And for us, we we went from doing like a 50 grand loft conversion and he come along and won us a million pound project. So wow. of a sudden, you know, we're, we're in a different league. Um, and we just really grew from there. So I'm, you know, I'm knew I had this project, was piling on the overheads, more staff were brought on. We got new offices at about 12 or 14 in the office, about 50 odd people on site. It just got big really, really quick. Um, and I thought it was great. You know, you know, I'm, I'm out playing golf and then the accountant sending me the PL and I'm thinking, oh, I just made like, you know, 100 grand profit this month and all that sort of stuff. And you think it's all going great. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden I had two sales guys that were doing really well. But I think what happened is we'd grown so quick that we couldn't keep up with that growth and we had we'd created no buffer so mm. we were churning work around so fast at the time we needed about four to five hundred thousand turnover a month just to break even wow um and then all of a sudden we we were only booked up for two to three months at any one point because we were churning through it so quick and then my sales guys went from winning all that work to going for three months without either of them landing anything Wow. Um, and it was like, oh, wow, now all of a sudden I'm, I'm going to be out of work in sort of four weeks time. So that was that was one of the big things that went wrong. We'd grown too fast and I hadn't created a, a long enough buffer for, for work. And um, the second thing that went wrong was that we because we were so desperate to bring on so much work, we were taking the wrong type of clients on. Mm. And that was a huge, huge mistake. We were just literally taking anything on. And, you know, in your gut when you shouldn't take that certain type of person on. And we did. And that meant we were having legal battles and all sorts of people not wanting to pay us. And, um, and then we had some, just some bad stuff that went on. Like we had, we had a customer die midway through a job and they owed us about a hundred thousand and wow. um, that all went wrong and we couldn't get the money out of the sun. And um, so we just had an accumulation of all these events all at once. And really I didn't have the, the foundation wasn't there in the business. I didn't have a big enough buffer, financial buffer behind me. Um, and we got to a point where we couldn't carry on. And I'm talking to liquidators and they're saying to me, you're, you're actually insolvent and you need to close the business. And wow, I, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> it was, it was we have gone from literally, you know, unbelievable success to rock bottom really, really fast. And so the period of time you're talking about is about three, four months or something like that. Yeah, I guess um, maybe a little bit longer than that. There was there were some cracks appearing probably before that. So yeah, I'd probably say um, overall, it probably took about a year from when things started happening to actually when we actually closed the business because wow. uh, we you know we tried to keep it going for a little bit longer. But yeah, it was. But in the scheme of things, that felt that felt quick. <laughs> and tell me this: the 
I mean, we 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 spoke we spoke uh, on your podcast about you know resilience and 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 what it like. What does it feel like to be the big success, making you know four hundred grand a month and stuff like that, and then suddenly you've gone insolvent? Like, describe the feelings and describe like how long you struggled through that kind of wallowing kind of difficulty. Yeah, I, I must say that. I mean, some people look at going bust as a business as the easy way out. And it, it couldn't be further from the truth. It's the one of the worst experiences I've ever been through. I've never been so stressed in my life. Um, you know, I had, especially in building, because it's quite an aggressive sort of industry, isn't anyway, isn't it? Sometimes, and you know, I had people ringing me up, by people threatening me, threatening to, you know, saying I know where you live and I'm coming around, and you know, and now I'm thinking, well, I've got young kids and all that sort of stuff, and so my head was in a, a bad place. You know, it was, it was awful, absolutely awful, and um. Yeah, if if worst, anyone's ever the, going through that, I know how you feel. <laughs> the, the, the worst thing about the construction business is the fact that so many subcontractors are involved that there's guys that you, you're getting paid and you pay them. And if you haven't been paid, then you can't pay them, but they've done the work, so they deserve to be paid in their mind. And so you're stuck as kind of the intermediary between a bad non-paying client and the guy that's done the work for you. So yeah, yeah. really difficult. Yeah, we really, had really yeah. we had a very very severe uh, crash in two thousand and eight, following two thousand and eight, and one in every two jobs in the Irish construction industry was lost, and so it was it wasn't just you know one company, it was every single company was mm. was brought down like that, and uh, and so we're still we're still actually trying to recover today the the country. We can't, we're still at one third of the construction capacity that we were in 2008. Wow. Wow. Still, That's, uh, today, yeah. yeah, it's incredible. So yeah, anyway, that... Greg, tell us, how did you turn things around? So very, very stressful. How long did that stressful period last? Was it a... Yeah, it was, it was a little while. I think the insolvency was probably sort of three to six months. And um, that was difficult because I not only was the, the money a problem, you know, you're not earning any money, you're, you're using your savings to pay the people that are threatening you and whatever else, you know, the people that you, you feel like you had to pay. Um, and then then you had the staff as well that I felt really bad about. I had staff that were with me for years and then you think, well, they've got mortgages and families and whatever else. And then I felt obliged to, to get going again. Um, so I, I had a decision to make. I either thought, like, now's my way out. Let's get out of this industry once and for all and, and do something else. Um, so there's a little bit of soul searching thinking, what am I going to do? And, and then I thought, well, what else actually am I going to do? <laughs> because I, 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 yeah. And, and I also thought, um, I knew I'd, you know, I'd, I had had success up to that point. So I knew we were doing some things right. Um, and I'd just learned a huge amount of lessons on, on what was going wrong. Um, so I had to pull myself back up and say, no, come on, let's get this right. And I think in my own mind, I had to make a success of it again, just for my own, self-worth and self-belief because i thought if i if i'd have left it there and never tried again um i don't think i could, could have coped with that so um it probably yeah maybe three months or so i thought right let's get let's get back into this and and get going and just restarted a restarted a fresh company up started from scratch um which actually the fresh company carried a debt from the old business because there was still people we needed to pay it wasn't it wasn't an easy out so, um, yeah, so you sort of start with the weight around your neck, but I was absolutely determined that this time I was going to do it differently. And one of the things that was different was I, I spent a lot of time studying, reading a lot of books, 
doing a lot of courses. Um, you spoke on my podcast actually about Tony Robbins. I actually went to a big Tony Robbins event um, beforehand and I was really determined that the mindset's going to be different this time. Uh, I'm going to educate myself completely differently and actually have a plan and a strategy on how I'm going to do it. And that was, it was completely different. The next business I created was so much easier <laughs> than than the first one. Yeah, went much better. So yeah, so I'd probably say the time period that I was wallowing around and, and not doing a lot was yeah probably three months or so. Um, and it was interesting, actually, one of, one of my friends, it's funny that some of the things that go through your mind at the time, because I was really fed up and depressed. And I went out for a, a drink with one of my mates and I was talking about things and I said to him, I don't know if I can do this again. I don't know if I'll actually, if I'll succeed, you know, was I just lucky in what I'd done up to that point? And he said, I've never, ever heard you speak like this. He goes, it's really weird you talking like this, but he goes, let me tell you one thing. He goes, if you carry on talking like that, it will happen again to you. He goes, it'll be a self-fulfilling prophecy. You'll, you'll talk yourself into the ground again. He goes, you need to snap, snap out of that and sort your head out. And, um, and that was a little bit of a trigger for me. I needed that sort of slap around the face and then come on, sort yourself out you know <laughs> you, can't, you can't you can't be talking like this talk negative it will happen so yeah that it's was funny, a bit of a realization you say that 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 actually reminds me of a very similar situation where uh i one of my friends from school uh called me up and said do you want to meet for a pint and i was like yeah sure i'll come up and i came up to him and we were chatting and he was and he knew i was in the middle of all the trouble that i was in and he he was like so, so how's it going and I was just in a really negative place. And I was like, you know, I can't afford, like I, I'm living in my brother's flat and I, I can't afford, you know, I said, I'm not going to be able to afford to put my kids through the same school that you and I went to. And I remember when I said, when I said that he was actually worried about me, he actually thought like that I might try to do something to myself because I was so kind of down about it. And so he kind of kept checking in with me and things like that because but he, he he was basically, man, pull yourself together. You know, you're you're able to pull yourself out of this hole that you're in. And that yeah. was the point when I realized, you know, yeah. Yeah. If if you, you have to have people that can talk to you straight in those situations, because otherwise you're, you're just going to head in a downward spiral. So, you know, if you can get someone that can snap you out of it. So I, th I think it's so important to surround yourself. If you're ever going through things like that, surround yourself with the right people, you know, yeah. not toxic people people that are going to pull you back up because you need them at that point absolutely so tell us greg i mean phase two then you're 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 doing really well uh you, you built it up how long did it i mean what were the things that you did differently that made such a difference yeah so what i did differently was first of all had a plan this time of how i was going to do it so come up with a proper strategy and and i actually sort of documented the strategy that i was going through um, and it started really with, yeah, first of all, plan a financial plan, make sure that I wasn't going to grow too fast, set proper KPIs for myself on, you know, what I was going to allow my overheads to be and whatever else. So that, that was, you know, the first thing. Um, the second thing was make sure that we work for the right type of client. So I needed to really work on my marketing and attract my ideal client to me. Um, and that was great. We got, you know, got some really awesome clients and go with your gut. You know, if you realize someone's wrong, turn it down. It's not worth the aggro. So we got the right sort of clients. Um, and then we just made sure that we really delivered well because we had some legal problems beforehand, probably because we weren't delivering so great, if I was honest, in, in some areas. Um, we made sure that customer service was spot on. And that was a, a big priority of ours. So, yeah, plan, attract, delivery. Um, yeah, and had the right staff this time. You know, the right people on the bus, not just trying to fill seats just for the sake of it. We were very 
um, took my time on hires and made sure we were bringing the right people on board. So that was probably the big difference. There was there was much more strategy involved the second time around. Mm. Yeah, they, when people is the big thing. And they say, what does it? They say to fire quickly and hire slowly. And uh, that's one of the one of the things. One of the mistakes that I made in my thing was was around the personnel that I brought in, and I brought in somebody that was well. I got on well with him, but he was toxic around other members of staff, and uh, and, it, and other members of staff left because of the relationship and things like that. So it was, it does have this kind of knock-on impact that you have to be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't realize in, in the first business I had that went bust, we, we were hiring really the wrong sort of people and it was affecting everyone. Everyone was fed up and wanted to leave just because of these people I was bringing on board. And I remember I had one guy that I brought on who um, he ended up, I thought he was a genius, um, but I realized that there's a fine line between the genius and the lunatic. And unfortunately he was an, an absolute lunatic. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, he ended up stealing a 500,000 pound contract off me and got the client to renege on a contract. It was unbelievable. Um, so we really had the wrong person. And then I had someone else who stole 10 grand off me. Um, wow. One of our managers and yeah, all sorts going on. So yeah, the second time right around, I thought, no, 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 this, <laughs> we're really going to take our time and get it right. And interestingly enough, the team that, I hired for my second building company. I've probably got eighty percent of those team members now in my oh, coaching really? business. Yeah. So tell us, that's a that's a great uh, seg you know segue into the next thing. I mean, did you, you did you sell your contracting business or what did you do that kind of create the 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 coaching business? Yeah. So what happened on on the second business I created? I was all about getting some time back for myself as well. I was never going to work as as hard, and I really wanted to fulfil my passion, which was property developing. So I created the construction business, which gave me cash and a cash buffer to then start getting into property development myself. So I was running the two concurrently, and in the end, I had quite a, well nothing on on the scale that you have, Gavin. But for me, it was uh, some really nice and lucrative property deals that that we had. And that enabled me to then stop working for clients anymore. So the business morphed from a construction business into a property development company. So there wasn't really anything to sell because I'd, I'd used the team to to move over into that. And there probably wasn't any value in a, a couple of year old uh, construction business anyway. So yeah, we got into to property developing. Um, and then once I started doing property developing, I thought I don't really want to work for clients anymore. But the problem with property is sometimes you're waiting a couple of years to get your, your money out of a deal. And I, yeah. thought, I need to do something for money. Um, and at the time, I joined uh, a, a community called Key Person of Influence with Daniel Priestley, who's a, a, a joint friend of ours. Yeah, and Daniel on the podcast as well. <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. Awesome guy. And I, I joined his uh, KPI community, which was about yeah becoming a, a key person of influence in your industry. And as I was doing that, I thought there was a lot of coaches in there and I thought this is the perfect program for coaches. And, and he was all about writing a book and whatever else. And I thought, have I got anything I could write a book about, you know, what can I do a book about? And when I thought about it and I, and I, I realized that I'm, I was always coaching people, I was always coaching my friends and other business owners about how to grow their business based on some of the success we had before and the failures that I'd had and to avoid those steps. So I thought, and, and with Daniel's advice, he said, well, write the book about your story, you know, write yeah. about how it went wrong and, and the steps you, you did to put it right. And so I did that, put it down. It really resonated. It done really well. The book was an Amazon number one bestseller and got some great feedback on it. You know, still get some top reviews now. 
And I thought, well, there's, there's a business here. There's a little bit of a niche because there's not many construction coaches in the UK. <laughs> so that's how that's how coaching started. Brilliant. And so so you you started in the UK, but now you are based in Sydney, Australia. Yeah. So yeah. explain how that came about and explain, explain the rationale. <laughs> yeah, sure. So was coaching for a bit and then uh, we were doing a few property deals and we, so we, because we were doing property deals, we were actually moving into the properties, living in for a bit and then, and then flipping them. And sometimes we were living on site and building a few out on the site. So we didn't really have a fixed home <laughs> at the time because we were moving around and then COVID hit and we were living in one of the properties during COVID and we had enough really. We thought, oh, we've, we, we fancy something else. And I think because we were away from family a lot at that point and we were seeing everyone on Zoom, we actually thought we could probably cope away from people for now. And we'd been to Australia about five years before, travelled and seen it and absolutely loved it. So it was always in our heads that that's probably something we wanted to do. And we'd actually applied to put visas in a few years back and then my wife pulled the plug. She got cold feet and didn't didn't fancy it. But after COVID, we, we said, look, there's you only get one opportunity in life to do these sort of things and we thought now's the now's the time to do it so we made a decision during covid put the visas in um fortunately the australian government they actually stopped all visas at, during covid so no they were letting no one in and then the outgoing prime minister was on, in, on so much flack because they were struggling with migration that they literally opened the floodgates okay. so uh, our visa got approved immediately even though i was over 40 so i didn't really have enough points to get in um, so we got approved and I then decided, I said to my wife, I, I really need to go for it with the coaching. If I want to create a business that is truly spaceless so I can work anywhere in the world, I've got to get this coaching completely off the ground so I don't have to rely on property anymore. And I did just went for it and it, it turned into a you know really good success. I mean, it's still, it's still work in progress. We're still growing it, but it's, yeah, it went really well. And that got me, got me over to Sydney. Uh, tell us well, that's a good point to just introduce your business tell us what's your business called and uh, I'll obviously put the, the things down in the show notes but tell us a little bit about how how the courses and stuff that you provide sure yeah so it's called develop coaching um as we've said at the beginning we only coach construction businesses and those that mainly are with us are probably doing you know, some some commercial stuff but it's mainly residential builders and trades that that we get on board um, interestingly enough, a lot, this is why they're probably attracted to you, Gavin, at the event is because a lot do want to get into property development overall. So some will come to us um, with a, a company that might be at, say, a million quid and they might want to get to five million. But overall, they really want to do property afterwards. So we'll help them scale the business up, give the business owner more time, freedom, money, get them you know, a bit of a cash buffer so that then they can do what they really want to, which is property. So I think a lot are attracted to me probably because of my journey and that's the journey I've done. Um, and then after they've got to 5 million or so and they they start their proper journey, they'll probably be making their way over to you, Gavin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a nice stepping stone. Yeah, and vice versa as well because there's a lot of people listening to this podcast uh, that would be contractors and uh, they're, they're, they're all over the place as well. Like I, I get... One of the things I love about having a podcast is that I look at the metrics and stuff and you find that there's people listening in from all over the world. Like I, I, I see that, you know, we're charting in Saudi Arabia and uh, Australia and Singapore and, and stuff. So it is fascinating how the, the, the stories get out there. And usually there's a link. It's an English speaking 
uh, perhaps Irish or English person based in one of these countries and they're binging your content every day. And so next minute you're <laughs> popping up on the charts, you know? So uh, anyway, it's uh, it's great. I'll put the, the links down. And so tell us about some of the clients and the journeys and, and, you know, some of the success stories that you can tell us about in your, in your. Coaching. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I think one of the, probably one of the biggest success stories for me was one of my clients who come on, who initially said that he wanted to get into property, but he wanted to do it. We gave him a three year time frame in which he wanted to do it in. Um, and in a year, he managed to go from, he was a million pound company. He, did, he didn't scale it huge. I think he got to about 2 million as a as a building company. But the real success for him was that he'd managed to sort out joint ventures and start his property journey. So after a year, he said, look, Greg, that's it. You've got to me where I want to be. And he was off and he was on his property journey and didn't have to work for clients anymore. So yeah, big, big success. And then we get other successes around people getting some more time back because it's not always about scaling for scaling's sake. Sometimes people will come on and they're happy with the size of their business, but actually they just need, they just want to see their kids and um, have a bit of freedom and, and do what they really enjoy. So one of my guys who come on, who's approaching retirement, actually, he come on because he'd got himself in a little bit of debt and he needed to pay his mortgage off and he hadn't really been able to go on holidays. And he's probably been me probably nearly two years now but uh last christmas he went away for four weeks sailing around the caribbean and all he had was a satellite phone on him and was just checking in with the sites every now and again there's not much you can do on a satellite phone and that was just just brings real joy to me because i think well actually now people are really living the businesses working for them rather than them being a slave to the business and yeah that's that they're the real success stories to me so yeah i love it when we hear things like that brilliant that's great. And tell us, I mean, one of the things that I'm getting a lot of questions about these days is, you know, the property business, the construction business, it's very much tied into how the economy is performing. And lately, the UK, obviously, interest rates have gone up and all that kind of stuff. I mean, what's what's the impact been on your clients and things like that? Uh, and yeah. how are they dealing with this? It's, it's such a great question. So, What's interesting for me is that I've, I've got clients in the US and I haven't got any Australian clients yet, but I'm, I know a lot of Australian builders here. And then I've obviously got UK clients. So I'm getting a little bit of a temperature check from the entire world. And we are definitely noticing that it's tightening up more than it ever has before. In fact, even after COVID, like there were some difficulties in COVID, but I can just sense now because we're talking to so many people, hundreds of builders we're talking to all the time, that uh, it's going to be a difficult winter. I really mm. think it's going to be a tough one this year for, for work. So um, the advice we're giving our clients, the good thing is with our clients is one thing we do make sure they do is fill that pipeline up with a ton of work because I made the mistake of not doing that. So it's like, get, get your pipeline full, make sure you've got like a six month buffer. So our guys, are most of them are okay. They're, they're booked up till January, but if anyone's not, we're saying to them, don't take your foot off the gas, get, get as, you know, meet those architects, get those tenders in um price that work because you've got to get past the january february period yeah otherwise you're going to struggle you, you know you're not going to be landing jobs in november december january this year because i think it's really going to uh, i think it's going to pinch yeah so that's what we clients are feeling the pinch just with the interest rates that they've and so the clients are yeah. pulling back because of that and then property yeah. prices themselves are coming back as well mm -hmm. yeah i'm trying to sell a property at the moment and it fell through um lost like oh, i don't know what was it um probably five percent on the on the sale price just in the space of 10 weeks because it fell through and it's it's just so frustrating you know so I, you know i'm seeing it myself personally but yeah it's painful and and 
prices over here in Australia and Sydney absolutely crazy. So we're actually hoping they're going to come down a little bit because they're, they're <laughs> yeah. even, probably even worse than London. It's yeah, absolutely nuts. The prices here on the northern beaches. So um, yeah, it's so all around. I think everyone's everyone's feeling the pinch at the moment. It's it's time to really sort of drill down on your costs and make sure you're not spending too much and you make sure you're financially robust as you get through this period. I think it's going to be a tough buffer, one. Now. Yeah. Keep your buffer replenished if you can. Yeah. hundred percent. Brilliant. Uh, Greg, just in terms of your, your future plans and things like that, I mean, are you, do you see yourself staying in Sydney or is it was, is it an experiment that'll, that'll come to its term? Yeah, I think we're here for a while. Yeah, we we said a year initially, and it's already been nine months now. Um, we're absolutely loving it. Yeah, sun and sea, and yeah, quite a laid back vibe over here. And it's actually the good thing is it's working for me time wise. So I'll get on and do all my calls in the evening, which it is now. So at the moment we're at half eight in the evening, um, but I don't mind that. You know, it stops me watching TV. And then the good thing is I've got the days to do a bit of business development or hit the beach and and chill out so um yeah i love it absolutely love it so i think i think we're out here for good the kids won't let us go back to england they're, they're enjoying it so so far yeah so, we're out we're out here for a while uh, and greg one of the things that um i just in terms of mindset now and things like that i've got a couple of questions that i like to ask my uh my guests and what the first one is like the best advice that you got over the years what is that Oh wow, that's uh putting you on the spot. Tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Best advice I've had over the years. Um, I think I think it just comes back to what my friend said to me. Um, that it will become a self-fulfilling prophecy if I allow myself to talk negatively. So I think that was the best advice I ever had because it snapped me out of that 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 talk. You can't talk like that. You've got a, you know, you're in control of your future and the way you talk to yourself and the conversations you're having in your own head is going to dictate where you go. So yeah, that's probably the best advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in terms of like habits and behaviors that have, you know, been contributed most to the success that you've enjoyed, do you have any that really front of mind that these are the habits that I, these are my non-negotiable habits and these have really stood to the test of time? Do you have any that stand out? I'm a big reader. I'm I'm a real believer in reading books because I just think the 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 wisdom that you get out of someone that's put their heart and soul into a book and you're getting 50 years of experience potentially, you know, in a few hours. So I'm a massive believer in reading books, but also not just reading it for the sake of reading, but actually highlighting things and taking points out of it and thinking, how can I apply that? So yeah, I think that's a non-negotiable habit. I think that the second non-negotiable I have is that I myself, uh, I'm a massive believer in coaching, not because I'm a coach, but I am coached. I've got two coaches myself at the moment. And uh, although, you know, sometimes they might not be telling me anything new, well, they do, they, they tell me amazing things, but it's it's that accountability and people seeing things that you can't see and and surrounding yourself with an environment of people that are maybe doing a bit better than you in, in different areas. So that's always not a, a non-negotiable. I will always have a mentor and a coach for myself personally because I just want to continually keep growing. That's a great bit of advice. Yeah. And it's funny. I, I say the same, like I, I told you, I have my own guy, JP de Villiers and, uh, and, and JP is like a performance coach. It's not even necessarily business. It's actually just, he keeps me kind of dialed in and making sure that I'm kind of performing well. And I can remember on one call, I was, it was a stressful day and I was kind of like a little bit down in the dumps. And I was kind of like, ah, oh, just, this has happened and this has happened. 
And I remember saying, you know, I'm not going to turn this into a nagging session. And he goes, no, you're not, because I'm not going to effing let you, you know. <laughs> and I was just like, kind of, okay, well, you know, shaking right in, in you know, in, right there and then. And it is important just to have somebody to tell you when you're, you know, you're starting to fall for your own negative self-talk or something like that. Yeah. And yeah. And, and not just the coaches. I think it's the communities you surround yourself with. So fortunately, the coaches I'm with, they've got huge communities of, of other coaches that they're coaching. And I just recently went to Hawaii, uh, a coaches convention, and I'm with people that are absolutely killing it in business and in life. You know, they're just really doing so well. And I, it's just so powerful to be amongst that group of, of individuals, because sometimes it's lonely on your own in business. You know, you haven't got anyone to talk to about your, your problems and that and your wife doesn't want to know <laughs> She's like, i'll give it a rest so um yeah you, who do you talk to so I, I think being in a community of people that inspire you and and fire you up that's like gold to me i love it so yeah um, they're my non-negotiables really reading books getting a coach and being in the right community brilliant great stuff okay and then my final question for you greg before we call it a day is uh you, you so you're you're now in your 40s and uh, if we were to go back to young 19, 20 year old Greg, if you had an opportunity to meet that young man and give him some advice, knowing now what you know, what advice would that be? I think I would have followed my dreams a lot earlier and gone for it earlier. Um, I wouldn't change the story necessarily because the story has got me to where I am now. And I wouldn't be coaching if it wasn't for that story of it going wrong. So I wouldn't actually change any of that. But the advice would be to go for it a lot earlier. So I have always wanted to do property, but it took the business failure for me to get into property and, and start doing it. So, you know, I, sh I should have been, you know, instead of talking about it for 20 years, I should have been doing it at 20 years old. So that'd be the advice. It's funny you say that. that that's I, I spoke to a guy, a guest on the podcast, uh, like probably last year, and he's based in the US and he, he has been a successful real estate broker uh in his mid to late 50s and he he got into property in the last few years and i was like you've been so successful as a broker like why did you not get into property like two decades ago and he was saying it was it was limiting self-beliefs and he said just like even though he was selling all these properties to people he he just he wasn't in a community like what we're talking about just a minute ago that where people can make you realize that this is something that you can do yourself. And so he yeah. was in this belief that no, my clients do that. I just bring the deals to them. And, uh, and it's only when he started doing it himself, he realized God, this is easy. Like, why didn't I do start doing this 20 years ago? So, yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's all about self-belief because once, once I'd made the decision and the decision was made that I was going to do it, I had my first deal within about six months. Yeah. And so, you know, why wasn't I making that decision at 20 years old? <laughs> so true. So, Need a time machine. Greg, how can people find you if they want to connect with you? Yeah, sure. So uh, developcoaching.co.uk. Uh, jump on there. You can get a free copy of my book. Um, that's an Amazon number one bestseller, but I'm happy to give that away completely for free. So get on there and get the book downloaded and you'll hear all about my failures and what went wrong. <laughs> all right. Well, Greg, thanks so much for your time today. And uh, I'll put all the show notes. Uh, if, if anyone, what about social media? If, if somebody wants to reach out and connect with your social media? Yeah. 
yeah just search for develop coaching or greg wilkes on on social and you'll find me i can't even remember my handles to be honest but <laughs> i'll send you them gavin you can stick them in the show notes will do all right greg thanks a million and uh, best of luck with everything thanks mate all right guys i hope you enjoyed my conversation there with greg now I love stories about roller coaster rides of success and then failure and then success again. And that actual, that, that process of going through the roller coaster ride, it's often referred to as the hero's journey. If you go and Google the hero's journey, you'll see there's an actual process that a lot of people have experienced. And when you're telling a story, it's a great way to tell a story. Many of the guests I've had on this podcast over the last three and a half, four years, they have similar war stories, and it's from these war stories that you gain tons and tons of insights, experience, and from that experience, you gain the knowledge and the wisdom. And that is indeed where, you know, all of the stories that I can tell, all of the advice that I can give, it has all been chiseled out, you know, carved out of hard experiences that were un perhaps very unpleasant at the time, but still they are um, they're, they're, they're always very valuable at, when you look back in the future. Now, Greg today mentioned towards the end there that this is one of the reasons why it's great to be in or part of some kind of a community. And that's not just a coaching community where you would actually have somebody, you know, like a mentor or a coach or something at the top of the community. You also get enormous benefit from just the other members of the community. And so it seems like an appropriate time for me to let you guys know about this exact thing that I am creating and I'm about to launch. It's my new mastermind community and I'm going to be launching it in September. And those of you who've been listening over the last couple of years, you are aware, I'm sure, that I have coaching programs and I have the foundation program for junior people. Uh, you know, novice investors. And then I have the accelerator program for more advanced people. But what I'm actually creating here now does not involve the educational piece. What it involves is simply people that want to be a part of a, an active network of investors, people that are trying to achieve the same thing as you. And the benefit of being a part of a network like this is that you get to share stories, ask advice, not just of me, but of your peers and the other members in the group. And what we do in this particular group, we meet every single week and we meet um, for you know about an hour, maybe an hour and a half, and we'll chat through the various things that are going on. You know, it might be a Q&A, it might be a, uh, you know, a deal review or a critique. It could be that somebody is about to go and meet an investor and wants some guidelines. It could be that we're simply talking stat strategies, we're talking tactics, we're talking skills, you know, whatever it might be. There's various tips and insights you can pick up from your peers and from your mentors and stuff like that. So that is the purpose of this group. You don't get you don't have to pay the big money for the uh, for the program and for the education and all that you just simply pay to be a member of the community so if that sounds something of interest oh and by the way i should mention that the you, there will also be four in-person meetings a year now some of you may have been to my recent in-person meeting where i had our guest speaker mary conway speaking there's going to be four of those a year and so the idea is that we meet weekly, 
we share stories, we, you know, ask advice of one another, and then we have the quarterly meetups where we get together in person. Anyway, I'm going to put some links in the show notes if you're interested and if you'd like to learn more. I'm going to be doing a discount um, for anyone who signs up in the month of September, and then the price will go up in October. So it is a good time to go and check it out. So guys, I hope you found this one useful. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Greg Wilkes. And uh, that's all for now. I will catch you again next week. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via the Facebook group that is called Behind the Facade Community. Alternatively, you will find me on social media. My handle is Gavin J. Gallagher. You can stay up to date with all of my content and the various projects I'm working on over on my website, GavinJGallagher.com. And while you're there, please do add your name to the join my tribe thing over on the right hand side this will ensure you're kept up to date via my weekly newsletter all of these links are in the show notes below that's all for now i will see you guys in the next episode